Hey, it's Dan Harmon from Harmontown. I want to tell you about an exciting new podcast coming to Feral Audio called Launch Left. Rain, Phoenix, and Moon Zappa are going to interview extraordinary minds, mavericks, and pioneers in their fields. This season, Launch Left is going to celebrate nonconformists like Michael Stipe, Shepard Ferry, Spike Jones, Mario Batali, and many others. And those guests are also going to spotlight their favorite left-of-center emerging artists. So listen and subscribe now at feralaudio.com slash left, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do it however you want, man. That's the nonconformist part. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks. Plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Feral Audio. Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Happy New Year's, everybody. This is our first episode of 2014. It's coming out on New Year's Day. Uh, though I record this not on New Year's Day, but uh, I'm sure I'm really tired and hungover on this day that is New Year's Day. Because uh, isn't that what you do? Uh, if you haven't listened to my show before, uh, it is just what the title implies there. I have a conversation with somebody. It's uh, usually someone who's a lot more interesting and life-worldly than me. I don't think that's a phrase, but it doesn't matter. Today I talked to Lance Britton, a world champion bullfighter. You ever know what it's like? You ever wanted to know what it's like to have a bull charge at you? And uh, you, you could possibly die or get out of its way? Well, Lance talks about all that stuff, and it's pretty rootin' tootin' uh, interesting. It's a really great episode, and I really dug talking to Lance. Um, we'll get that get to, to that in just a moment. Um I want to tell you something really weird. Uh, the other day, you know, the holidays, really stressful. And by the way, I'm fucking so glad they're over. I am so glad they're over. Um, it is just, it's been fun. But uh, my lady and I, we went to uh, a masseuse. Uh, we went to we this new spa opened up in my neighborhood, and uh, and they they're offering they were offering like a discount for. Uh, couples massages and also I just want to say right here at this moment where I say massages if you're one of those people who when somebody mentions getting massage and they say uh, blah 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 happy ending stop the joke is worn everybody the joke is so worn out <laughs> we don't need to hear that or if somebody's on a computer we don't ever need to hear a, hey uh, what you looking at porn we don't need those those two jokes can die they they they, they won't they're like the living dead, they just keep coming back, but they need to go away. Anyway, so we're in the same room for this massage, right? And it's two Asian women, and, uh, you know, we're face down, you got your face in that weird hole on the massage table, and my masseuse is just ranting in Vietnamese. I'm taking a guess it was Vietnamese. It seemed like Vietnamese. Just ranting, and and, and barely, like, uh, you know like kind of half-assing my massage and just kind of like doing it and but stopping a lot to gesture because she's fairly angry and 
and like I'm not really getting a massage, and uh, I, and I'm like, do I stop and say like, hey man, like, cause this isn't relaxing at all. <laughs> it it was you know it's they're people it's supposed to be like that soothing music they always play and you know somebody relaxing, you know quiet, and she's just ranting and raving and. And the other woman would once in a while say something back, but she, this, and this goes on for like fifteen minutes. I'm like, do I say like be quiet? But I don't think she'll understand me because she doesn't seem to barely grasp English. Uh, finally, she just stops massaging me. It's really quiet. And I'm thinking, oh, it's uh, it's gonna be calm now, and uh, she's just getting some oil or whatever. But then, like, a minute or so goes by, and she there's no massage. I look up. Both of our masseuses have left the room. And at that moment, at the wall behind us, they start arguing. Like, you hear them. They're yelling back and forth. They're throwing shit <laughs> at one another. Like, you hear the, And you hear, like, slaps. and It was like, it was like we, we were getting a massage in The Deer Hunter. It was crazy. <laughs> and Kelly, my girlfriend, and I look at one another, and we're like, we mouth like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's like, and, and uh, like, Kelly's shaking. It's like, it's like, they're, like, punching each other in the next room. So we just slowly, like, or quietly, just quickly put our clothes on and just, like, crept out of there. Cause it was, and then and then I call back like an hour later, and I'm like, because we had we were so wound up, we had to go to another place for a massage. Because we we're just like, oh my god, like it was like you kind of got into massage mode, and then then like a fight breaks out. But I called the guy and was like, hey, yeah, we were in there, uh, we didn't pay because the two masseuses got into a fist fight, and he's like, yeah, sometimes those things happen. I was like, no, they don't actually. <laughs> they, they, people rarely actually get in fistfights, especially in massage spas. So, anyway, that was uh, my exciting holiday story. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I know I certainly did. Here is an, uh, let's get, talk to world champion bullfighter, Lance Britton. Excited to talk to you about what you do because holy smokes, that looks like <laughs> it's. It's. My, I was watching videos of you, and my uh, like my stomach would drop, like almost you know, like <laughs> like that when you're on a roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, and you call it. It's uh, you're labeled as a, uh, a championship bullfighter. Bullfighter. And it, of course, it's different than the when people hear bullfighter, they think of the sort of the Spanish guys uh, type of bullfighter. But would you explain just real quickly what it is you do? Well, um, in the rodeos, we protect the bull riders from the bulls. Um, you know, and that we're out there during every bull, um, and we just we watch what's going on, and we try and get the bull's attention and and get the bull away from the cowboy so that the cowboy can get up and get safely to the fence. But we also, <clears throat> back in, I think it was 1979 or 1980, they started a competition where it would pit a bullfighter against a Mexican fighting bull, just like the ones that they kill in Spain or old Mexico. Oh, okay. And, 
and it would be a one-on-one -on -one competition, turn a bull out, and one bullfighter kind of freestyles, fights a bull. And it was to showcase the, the athletic talents of, of the bullfighters. And uh, there was a uh, tour that was held throughout the season, and then it would culminate at a finals where the top six bullfighters would go head-to-head -head against each other, and, and the winner, whoever came out the winner, was crowned world champion. Um, in 1998, I was fortunate enough to be in that tour and, and go to enough competitions where I made the finals. And I went to the NFR, and I just had a large time. It was the um, first time I'd ever been there. It was against all the guys that I'd looked up to as I was starting my career, and I was able to compete with them. And I did okay. I did well. Um, and in 1999, I was able to go back and beat Mature. I went into the world finals number one, having won the most money throughout the year more than anyone else, and then stayed in that position and won the world in 1999. In 2000, I was went on the tour again and went to the national finals again and in the number one spot. And I just, I didn't have a very good finals at all. Uh, I don't even think I've won a round there. There was four go rounds at the national finals. And I don't think I did won anything there and ended up like third or fourth out of the whole deal. But um, since the year 2000, we haven't had that tour. Um, the PRCA, which is the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association, had a contract with Wrangler. Wrangler jeans to put on that bullfight tour and that contract was up and instead of renewing that contract they talked Wrangler into to buying the rights to the NFR and so now it's called the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo and so we were just kind of kicked out the door if you will <laughs> <laughs> um... so uh, I mean we you know we still go to rodeos and we still protect cowboys but we just don't have that freestyle event anymore which you know a lot of the fans around the country miss it i mean they you know different rodeos around the country that had that event you know for many years they would always ask us well why, why aren't the bullfights back you know and i'd have to explain it to them and and uh i think it's silly i think it's a great event it's an event that could could stand on its own but it's just uh it's hard to go out and find sponsors for that yeah, it's, I mean, it, uh, from the video I was watching this morning, I mean, <laughs> my girlfriend was in the other room, and all she could hear from me is like, oh, shit, because <laughs> it's like, I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, and I was watching solely videos of you, and I mean, and I kind of want to explore that freestyle thing, because I, I, I don't know, I think uh, I've posted that I was going to talk with you, and I, I know a lot of my listeners were interested, in, but probably don't know uh, that rodeo world or that freestyle, like, I mean, is it just you, you go out there, they let a bull out and like, you kind of have to avoid it. <laughs> I mean, forgive my ignorance on it. Well, there's a, there's a lot of technique to it and a lot of different things that we're scored on. Um, you know, a lot of times a bull, as he comes out of the shoots is running nine Oh, 
at you and to try and break them down to get them to slow down and stay with you. A lot of times we'll use misdirection or fakes. So you'll see, you know, as I step to the side and throw my shoulder over there, it makes the bull think I'm going one way. And then all I do is stand straight up and the bull totally misses me. But, but he feels like he's so close to getting me that he'll turn and, and come back to me. And I, and a lot of times we can just start making circles with him, what we call rounds, um, or step throughs. Uh, that's where we just essentially are walking as the bull is trying to get us. We'll just walk around them in a square, um, using step throughs or something like that. The whole idea is to let the bull do all the work a lot like, um, the Spanish bullfighters where they use a cape. Um, you know, it seems effortless and the bull is trying so hard to get to that cape or whatever. But these bulls still being the same breed that they, that they use in old Mexico, these bulls are smart because they've seen man walk, you know, they know they've seen a man on two feet and they know how he moves. And of course we fight these bulls for, oh gosh, upwards of 10, 12 years. And so they've seen every stinking move that a cowboy or bullfighter can put on them and they get smart to it. I mean, it may work the first time, but the second time they're going to be looking for that. And that's why the matadors, they, they kill the bull. They will never fight a bull that has ever been fought before. They want them fresh, dumb, if you will, (laughs) because they don't, a lot of those, those bulls have never been handled by man it's always either by a skid steer a piece of equipment or horseback a lot of times they don't even use horseback everything is those bulls are worked from behind fences or with people behind capes where that they they can't see the movement of the feet does that make sense uh, yeah. yeah and so and so with our bulls that we use you know they're loaded on trailers and they see people walking around and they're sorted into the pens and, and run up the chutes and they've, they've seen people all their lives or all their rodeo lives. And so a cape doesn't work on them anymore. You know, they're, they're looking for the man behind the cape. So what we do is use a lot of misdirection, like I said, making rounds with them, step throughs, even acrobatic moves like jumps. Yeah, um, I don't know what you've seen on on YouTube of jumps or anything like that, but I was, um, you know, a lot of a lot of the bullfighters that I looked up to would run straight on at a bull and jump and hurdle them and different things, and I I really like that. I like jumping. Well, um, I was the first one to do a standstill flat-footed jump. That's where I would stand still out in front of the chutes, call for my bull to come out, and when they'd turn him loose, he'd run at me 9-0, and I, as he got to me, I would jump straight up in the air, and the bull would run underneath me, and then I'd land and spin and go ahead and fight the bull. In uh, 1998 at the national finals was the first time anyone had seen it televised, me doing that. That's kind of how, kind of how I got made a name for myself was um doing that move 
and lots of people tried to copy it <laughs> unsuccessfully, I might add. That's what I was it was, it's one of those that timing is everything. You know, if you jump too soon, the bull will see it and he'll, you know, jump up to get you. If you jump too late, obviously you don't get over the bull and the bull hits you. So it was, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it either worked or it didn't. And when it didn't, it really hurt. How did you... But I was fortunate enough. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, like, how did you test uh, like if you the, practice. <laughs> I mean what do you what do you practice with it cuz i mean it's like i'm sure there's like I, I don't know how you train if there's like if there's like a machines or whatever but it's like having a real bull coming at you and timing out that jump seems like you know it's your, your adrenaline's got it's it's got to be a different ball game than like a practice session in my yeah i i didn't ever practice it in fact the first time it happened was completely by accident it was in a at a jackpot where you know it was practice for the cowboys to get on and ride and stuff like that and if their bull was hooky if i if i saved a cowboy and the bull was hooky wanted to play i liked to play with him so i'd goof around with him and fight him and stuff like that this is long before the nfr long before me going to the nfr and and becoming a pro bullfighter so it was in a practice pen and uh this big tall he was kind of yellow and white bull and I, i'm i'm talking he was probably four and a half feet at his withers at his shoulders but he didn't have any horns and he loved to play and i was just goofing around with him one day and i'd made a really cool move on him and and faked him out and i kind of acknowledged the crowd and, uh, you know, showing off, turned my back to him. But as I turned back around, he came at me. And the only thing I could think to do was just jump straight up in there and hope that when he hit me, he, he would throw me far enough away from him that he wouldn't get me, that I could get up and, and get away. But I jumped so high that he ran completely underneath me and I landed behind him. And I mean, it just totally caught me off guard because I was expecting to be flying through the air. <laughs> but when I landed on the ground and I see that he's on the other side of me, I'm like, "Woo, that's really work. <laughs> so I started dreaming about it at night, and I'm thinking, gosh, that could really work in a bullfight situation. Well, we had a couple of bullfights and different things that were amateur bullfights, and uh I used that jump on a big longhorn bull that we were fighting. And he was, his horns were probably four and a half feet from tip to tip. So I knew that if I could just get between his horns and above his head, that I could probably survive it. And uh, so I had, I'd fought this bull and I got him to where he wasn't really wanting to fight me, but he was coming down the arena fence along the side and I just stepped over about two feet off the fence on the ground. And as he come to me, I knew that I, all I had to do was get the timing down. And, uh, so I took a couple of steps forward to him and then just jumped straight up and he ran right underneath me. And that was the first time I used it in a competition. So from then on, I, 
I just, uh, it was mostly just dreaming about it was my practice, I guess. Cause, cause yeah, you don't want to go just stand in front of every bull and try and do that. Cause <laughs> you know, if you mess up, you know, you could break a leg and that would be it. So it was something that I got pretty quick in my head, you know, the timing of it and where the bull had to be and, you know, his head had to be down as I jumped straight up. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that I didn't ever get touched, but there were very few times that I ever got run over doing that, doing that jump. In fact, I think about three times that I ever got caught doing that jump. But, um, it, once I did it in a, in a uh, Wrangler bullfight, the word just spread across the rodeo world like wildfire. And, uh, people were calling me, rodeos calling me, wanting me to come do it at their rodeo. And I said, well, now, wait a minute, this doesn't just work on every bull, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, other, other bullfighters were like, Hey, Lance, how, you know, how do you do that? Well, I'm not going to share, you know, my secrets with anybody, especially the guys I'm competing against, but you know, a lot of them after a year or two, they would start trying to do that. Um, cause they knew that was kind of the only way they were going to beat me was to use, use it against me. And gosh, there was, there was guys sent to the hospital and, you know, breaking legs, breaking ribs, trying to do that. And, uh, meanwhile, I just, I just laugh and do my job and <clears throat> collect my money. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty thrilling to watch. And you said, I, I forget exactly what you said. Something about like, and oh, when you the first time you did it, you're like, I hope I survive. I mean, is that somewhat of a thought every time you go in there, or is that something that you just don't allow to enter into your head? Um, yeah, I don't. I, I I'm I have more confidence in myself, you know, that. I can beat the bull. Um, my biggest thing was when I was competing is hoping that my bull was good enough, that my bull would fight well enough, you know, because I knew I could beat um, the other bullfighters. I just felt like I had more savvy, more understanding of of bulls than, than they did. And so I was just hoping that my bull would stand – would hold up to my expectations of, of what I was fighting mainly. Um, Oh, I got butterflies, you know, uh, and especially if I did get run over like the night before or something like that, and I'm a little sore hurting or got a broken rib or something like that, you know, you get, get a little more butterflies just hoping that you can, um, get through the whole deal. The, uh, and that would really only last, those butterflies would really only last for about the first five seconds. Because I knew if I got through that first five seconds of the, of the bullfight, I could get the bull to play my game instead of me having to run away from the bull. Um, you know, I would get the bull set up to do what I wanted him to do instead of me having to play off the bull and do whatever it is he wanted me to do. So yeah. <clears throat> there's a lot 
there's a lot to it. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, I mean, believe me. You know, I, I, it, I mean, I look at it and I'm like, I was like, it's. I mean, it's amazing to watch and it's impressive. I, yeah, it's. I would. I have a great deal of respect for. I, I can't imagine the the physical, uh, what it takes to do that. Yeah, you know they have at some rodeos, and I, I don't I don't see it much more anymore. But at some rodeos, they used to have this what's called bull poker, and that's where four guys or four people would set out at a table out in the middle of the arena, and they would turn out a fighting bull and you know, last one to be sitting in their chairs, the winner of the $200 or whatever. And a lot of people have asked me, have you, I'll bet you're really good at that game. I'm like, no way. I will never play that game because it is all luck. That doesn't, that's no skill involved. I would rather stand in front of one and, and make the bull do what I want instead of trying my luck at what the bull wants, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Now, when you said earlier, too, a bull, when you said comes running out 9-0, that doesn't mean 90 miles per hour, does it? What does that mean? No, I mean, it, a bull will, uh, top speed, a bull will probably run 20, 25 miles an hour. Yeah, that's... But, I'm, yeah, it's a figure speech, 9-0. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know if that was, because I didn't know how, I don't know much about uh, bulls. I mean, I've been to rodeos and whatnot, but... And frankly, uh, when any time when I was a kid, my my dad always took us to rodeos, and the guys who do what you do was always the thing that fascinated me more than anything in the rodeo because I was like, that is crazy exciting to watch. <laughs> it's like, I mean, the other yeah. stuff is great, but it was like to me that was like them dudes got got some guts to go out. Yeah. There. I mean, that's the most dangerous part of the rodeo, in, in, in as far as I can tell. I, I what do I know about that? <laughs> yeah, I would say. I mean. You know, I, I grew up, too, going to rodeos and, and stuff in my little hometown, and I'd always get to go behind the chutes and see the cowboys, and we were we were farmers, and we were we showed horses all the time I was growing up, and so I'd go behind the chutes, the rodeos, and see the bull riders and think, gosh, that's crazy. I could never do that. How could they do that, you know? But I started riding bulls when I was 19, which is actually pretty late in life. Uh, most of those guys start riding when they're nine, ten years old, and they start out on calves, you know, and then they go to steers, and then they go to young bulls, and then they go to big bulls and stuff like that. So for me to start riding when I was 19, that was just kind of unheard of. I mean, and I love to ride, but I wasn't very good at it. Um, I'm built a little bigger than most of the bull riders are, but I just, I just want to be a part of rodeo. And, um, when I go to the practice pen, I'd usually be the first one to get on. And then I'd stand out there and I'd protect the rest of the guys that were, that were, um, riding and stuff like that. Well, that was a totally different adrenaline rush than riding. And so I just started, um, doing more of that and it, it didn't take long and I figured out that I was going to be way better at fighting bulls and than I was going to be at riding bulls so you know I grew up around cattle and so it seemed more natural for me to be on the ground out in front of them you know rather than on their back so 
So, yeah, you'd always been around bulls. Because I was thinking about it. It's like, it's not like a a guy who's like, I'm going to be a singer. <laughs> and then just one day he gets up in front of a group of people and, and sings and is terrified. Because I'm like, if you just like one day go, right. hey, I'm going to jump in front of a bull, you're probably going to get killed. <laughs> I mean, you have to have some level of confidence walking into that or experience, right? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, anyone anyone could learn to be a bullfighter. In fact, a lot of us top bullfighters put on schools, and we invite anybody, you know, anybody that wants to try it to come out. And we just teach, you know, the basics, first of all, on how to fight bulls and how to protect cowboys and stuff like that. But so, you know, I've seen city kids that just went to their first rodeo and thought that that would be something cool to do. And so they come out and, you know, some of them really do like it and some of them are good at it. Whether they continue on and make a career out of it, I don't know. But, you know, and then some of them come out and go, whoa, this is this is not what I expected. You know, this really hurts when you get run over. <laughs> and, and then that's it. You don't see them anymore. But, um yeah, there's there's schools that that a lot of us put on, and and we can teach guys, you know, the basics first of all, and then you know they're usually three day schools, and so um, you know you leave there after three days and pretty well know whether that's something that you want to continue to do or hey that was a fun thousand dollars to spend and I got ran over and broke my ribs, you know. <laughs> now I can go tell my girlfriend about it, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, you've, I'm, I'm guessing, going to take a wild guess, you've been run over a, more than a few times? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, you know, people have asked, you know, what's your worst injury? And I always say the next one <laughs> or the last one. Uh you know, I was talking to my wife the other day about something, and I said, um, you know, broken ribs, you always forget how bad they hurt, you know, after they're healed, and and you're feeling good, and you're like, man, I, you know, if, if I get, I don't know, you just forget what the pain was like until you uh, get hurt again, and it's like, wow, I don't remember it being this bad. You know, but I've I've been kicked in the face. Uh, in fact, last year in July, I was kicked in the face and broke my eye socket. Um, I've had all my ribs broken at one time or another, fingers, wrists. Um, I've been real fortunate not to break major bones like legs or anything like that. But, you know, stepped on, you got deep bruising, and it's just, you know, we we go down the road usually injured because that's our job is to to uh get in front of the bull and take the hits that, that the cowboy may have taken just so they can you know cuz they're vulnerable they're on they're laying on the ground and uh it gives them just that split second to get up and get away and you know if we get hit and thrown or uh stand in front of one and get run over you know it's just that's just part of the job i hope they're real thankful and give you a lot of gifts because i mean those guys <laughs> probably owe you a little bit on the, on the right side. 
We're going to get back to the conversation with Lance Britton real quick. I just want to take out this moment really quickly to thank you very much for listening to the show. If you can, I know it's post-holidays, but if you can, donate a little bit of money to the show. Uh, we, we here at Feral Audio work very hard, and we are pretty much make the no money. Uh, if you can't afford to donate uh, and help us keep on the lights and the equipment and stuff, uh, when you buy stuff through Amazon... Uh, we, my show has a, uh, my page has an Amazon link. You can go through that. You can buy things on Amazon. We get a kickback of that money, and it helps us out a lot. That'd be really uh, helpful. Also, follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore DeWire at Twitter.com, and uh, go to iTunes. Write a good review for me, and I'll send you a sticker or something, uh, though I have yet to make those stickers. But uh, take a screenshot, email me at conversationswithdewire at Gmail, and uh, all will be good. I hope you're well. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, I, and you go... I, I, I don't uh, you go out on the higher end rodeos the rodeo my dad would take us to was like I think a lot of the uh, guys were like sleeping in their trucks and it it but it, it as a kid it fascinated me like it seems like this whole like that insider culture of, that you guys have is it all like you're sort of living together for a number of weeks oh well like bull riders and, and stuff like that they'll bunch up and they'll travel together you know two or three guys in a car or a van um you know and it it just kind of depends on if if one of them won the rodeo last night you know they might spring for a room tomorrow night um or buy the buy the food for a couple of days or fuel or something like that until the next guy wins but if if all three of them fell off and they're running low on money they'll in the van, you know, scrounge whatever food they can get. Um, you know, rodeo pays better these days than it used to. You know, when you see the cowboys sitting alongside the road with one can of beans between the three of them, you know, <laughs> that doesn't happen much anymore. Plus, plus, you know, these cowboys have gone to the, a lot of these rodeos for two or three years, and they, they know people in the town. They might, you know, stop along the way and see some other cowboys that might be retired or, or set in a home hurt and they'll stay with them for a couple of days. As far as us bullfighters, we travel alone normally because when we go to a rodeo, we're there for the whole event, you know, whether it be three performances or 30 performances. And so we, a lot of us haul trailers, camper trailers, or we get rooms because we're, a, we're paid by the rodeo committee um or the producer that puts on the rodeo so we're a guaranteed check we're like subcontractors we we hire out you know rodeos a call and say hey we'd like like to have you here really stampede you know we have six performances what do you charge a performance would you be interested in doing it and we can come up with our we pretty much bid on the rodeo and they either hire us or they don't so we're a guaranteed check no matter what we do. The Cowboys, they have to pay an entry fee of, like, for instance, Greeley Stampede. It's $500 to enter that rodeo to get on one bull. But if they win money, if they ride their bull and place, you know, they could, they could win anywhere from 1000 to to $4,000. And when they get to – so they come here for one night, and they get on one bull, and they either ride or they don't, they'll pack up their stuff and head on to Cody 
and get on another bull the next night. And so by the time this rodeo is over, they have to call back into the PRCA and figure out exactly where they placed. And the PRCA will put money in their accounts from the prize money. And so a lot of guys just live on credit cards throughout the year, you know, paying their fees or, or they can transfer that money to the next rodeo or something to pay their fees and stuff like that. So, man, that, that seems it's, it's, uh, it's gotten to be more of a business to it these days than what it used to be. So, and especially with, you know, technology these days, you know, you can find out online what your, what your bull did to the last guy, you know, what, how he bucked, what, what score he was before you even get on him. So it's pretty amazing what, what has, you know, what technology has done for rodeo in the last 10 or 15 years. How do pretty you, amazing. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's a, a good thing or is it, do you feel like, you know, it, it hurts the, the sport? Um, I think it's a good thing. I mean, these guys are, I think they're riding better. But by the same token, if they get online and, and see that a bull, you know, he, the guy was 60 points on him and got a rewrite option, then, uh, you know, and those guys are de- trying to decide whether to come to Greeley or go to another rodeo instead of Greeley, and they've got a bull that they scored 60 points on and got a rewrite option, that guy's probably not even going to come to Greeley and just pay a turnout fee. And so, you know, it hurts some of these rodeos and fans, you know, uh, say it's J.W. Harris, who's the world champion this year, and people are looking forward to seeing J.W. Harris ride, and then he turns out and doesn't even come to the rodeo because his bull was not very good. Yeah, it kind of stinks for the fan base, really. But all in all, in the long run, I think it's best. You know, it keeps those guys from driving, you know, 500 miles to get on a bull that's no good and possibly getting hurt because of the no, the bull is no good or something like that. I mean, a bull falls with them or something or breaks a leg and they're out for the year. So those guys would rather get on a bull that really bucks and gives them a chance to win than they would to come get on a bull that they may get hurt on because he doesn't buck very well or a chance to have to get on two bulls and still not place. You know, it's just not. Yeah, what, it's better business for them this way. For like uh, people who do what you do, what is the average like career span? Is there is there an average age where you where people tend to uh, retire, or is it is it one of those? I was trying to think of the football player, the guy who just would not retire, <laughs> just kept coming back. Yeah, Brett Favre. Yeah. yeah. Um. Um. It kind of depends. I mean. I've got, there's some guys that are still fighting bulls that are 50 years old and they do a good job at it. Now, depending on who you talk to, um, some people say, well, he needs to retire. Well, I've worked with the guy who's 50 years old and I like fighting bulls with him because I know exactly what he's going to do. I know that he will be there for me. You know, it's like um, I know his weaknesses and he knows mine, and we work, we mesh really well together, and we fight bulls really well together. But, you know, there are some things he misses as far as 
and save opportunities that he misses? Yeah, probably. With other guys, if he's fighting with other another bullfighter that you know is maybe not at my level, then yeah, maybe he looks worse there. But when he and I fight together, we you know everything works well. We fight bulls well, and that's the thing. You know, I work with him once a year, but he's, I've got 12 or 15 rodeos that I go to, and so there's about eight or nine or ten different bullfighters that I fight bulls with throughout the year. So, and there's, you know, there's some guys that I fight bulls with that I just do not get comfortable with because I have no idea what they're doing, and they're they're hard to fight bulls with. But I would say that the I don't know that there's really an average age. I mean, maybe 45 or something like that. But really, that just all depends on you know how many injuries and if if rodeos quit hiring you, then it's probably time to retire. Yeah, yeah. Is it? I mean, after are you are you a pretty sore guy when you wake up after all after have done it, done it for a period of time or? Or do you have to, like, when you're not bullfighting, do you have to take really good... I'm sure you have to stay in shape. It's not like you sit around and eat pie all day. <laughs> yeah, I've I've been fortunate to uh, to just be in good shape. I mean, I'm... You know, it's nice to come home from a rodeo and not be hurt and not have to deal with ailments, but sometimes that time off between rodeos is when you get healed up. Um, from soreness and sore knees and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you, you're looking forward to that time off. And then after a while, it's like, man, I really want to get back out on the road and get to another rodeo. But, uh, if I was smarter, I would probably work out every day, but, uh, I've got so many other things going on when I'm at home and, and, uh, you know, when I was younger, I was just physically in shape and didn't, and it wasn't because I worked out. It was just because I rodeoed so much that it kept me in kept me in shape. But there there are guys that take it way more serious these days, and you know they're working out every day, and plus they're working rodeos every day and stuff like that. But that just wasn't me. <laughs> hey, was, I've never been big. I was the one that. You, I, I just thought I was uh, the best ever, you know, back when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, and, uh, like, how do your daughters, because I saw that you have two daughters, and, like, how, how do they, because I saw some video where they were watching you, and how, how does that, uh, how do they feel about it? I mean, are they, uh, do they understand the level of danger that you're walking into, or they seemed pretty excited? They do now. Oh, they do? They do now. I mean, as they've gotten older, you know, when they were younger, it was just neat to see Daddy out in the arena and see him on the big screen and see him on TV and stuff like that. And, you know, as they've gotten older, they've understood how dangerous it is and and they're concerned. Um, They were in the audience one time about four, three or four years ago when I got knocked out. And uh, I guess it was pretty. It was pretty traumatic for them. In fact, you know, now they're they they look at 
every black bull <laughs> as the one that knocked me out. You know what I'm saying? So when they see a black bull, they're like, Daddy, be careful. I don't like that bull. <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But, uh, oh, they love it. I mean, they they want to be cowgirls when they grow up. You know, they want to run barrels and and ride horses and stuff like that. So they, I, I think they... They know they know that it's dangerous, but they they know I can do my job. So, is this has this been a, a sort of a thing in your family for a while? Because you said you grew up around it too. I was wondering if it was like been a generational sort of life. Well, I grew up around cattle, meaning we used to feed cattle and run cattle on pasture and stuff like that. But I wasn't in the rodeo part. Um, we just went to you know the local county fair every year and stuff like that where i actually learned was from a cousin a distant, well he was my second cousin but all the time growing up we were four or five hours apart never really knew each other until you know we only saw each other at family reunions and and uh stuff like that but he was a pro bull rider and when i was in college he was coming home from a a rodeo in Kansas city and he had an accident on the road and his family needed help at their farm. They have an exotic animal farm and they're back in, um, Nickerson. In fact, Heather could tell you all about them. I mean, we're, we're all related, Heather and I and Aaron and Hallie, but, um, they needed help on their farm. And so I quit college. I was playing baseball at the time in college, but I, suffered a career-ending injury and so I was looking for something else to do and they needed help because Aaron was in the hospital and not home to help and so I went and lived with them and as Aaron got back out of the hospital and was at home recouping he and I got really you know just had a really good relationship and had a lot of fun it was like we were brothers I mean like we could finish each other's sentences so as he recouped and he wanted to get back to riding bulls but his mom and dad wouldn't let him said it was too dangerous and he said well it wasn't the bull that nearly killed me it was a truck semi truck (laughs) (laughs) and uh so he talked me into he said you take me to a a rodeo practice and i said yeah and he goes but you can't tell mom and dad or they'll get mad and they'll make us quit i said yeah I'll, i'll drive you over there so as we were driving over there he said do you want to get on a bull I said, sure, I, you know, what's it cost? I'd like to get on a bull just to say I've been on one. You know, kind of like riding a roller coaster, you know, just do it one time. Well, after that one bull, I was like, man, this is awesome. I, you know, that adrenaline rush just, I was hooked. I wanted to do it again and again and again. And so he's the one who taught me how to ride bulls. But um, other than that, like I said, I was 19 when I started. And, uh, so I didn't really grow up around it, but I, I sure enjoyed watching it. And I'm the only one in my family that does it other than, than Aaron. Like I said, he was my cousin, but, um, my brother's a golf professional, you know, my dad, mom and dad are farmers and, and, uh, have other businesses, but I'm kind of the oddball of the group. That's for sure. (laughs) What, uh, (laughs) What uh, what position were you playing in baseball? 
uh, outfield. Okay. I played uh, right and left field. And, oh, who, who's your team? It was the uh, Garden City Bronkbusters. I was in a junior college. Oh, what, what, but um, what's your, like, because uh, I, I don't even know what state you're in. Colorado. Oh, you're in Colorado? Oh, are you a Rockies fan? I am. I'm a huge Rockies fan. I'm a... I'm a Cubs fan, yeah. so I'm uh, I'm used to losing. <laughs> so I always get that people. Every time I tell people I'm a Cubs fan, they're like, "Oh, I'm sorry." <laughs> it's like, yes, I know. Or people, I've had people. I was wearing a Cubs hat once, and some guy drove by, and he's like, "Cubs suck," and I was like, "Yeah, like it's like kicking a wounded kid." It's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I- I'm fully aware how terrible we've been for a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when when you do decide to uh, wind up uh, the bullfighting career, do you, are you do you still plan to be involved in the rodeo, or what? What is do you have plans for after that? Not that you know that's coming anytime soon, but I'm just curious if do you have a what you desire to do afterwards. Well, I would never, I'll never force my girls to be in rodeo, but I think it's something that they want to continue to do and you know, barrel race and stuff like that. So, you know, I'll be involved in their, in their careers or whatever they want to do if it's with rodeo. But no, I think once I'm done with rodeo, I'll I'll be done other than with them. Like I said, whatever they want to do. That's that's pretty good. It's been, it's been great. I mean, you know, we, rodeo is like a lifestyle and, and, the friends that we've made and, you know, there's lots of cowboys that take their families on the road just as I do. You know, I take them to most of my rodeos other than when they're in school. In fact, I sometimes pull them out of school to go to rodeos with me, but, um, you know, they've got little friends that are their age and that go and they get to see them and spend time with them. And, um, yeah, that's what I'll miss the most would be the the friends that we get to see, you know, every two weeks or every week throughout the summer. That would be the thing that I miss the most. But I'll I'll always cherish those friendships and, and stay in touch with them. But as far as getting to see them all the time, you know, that probably won't happen anymore other than once a year maybe. But, um, yeah, it's... it's uh, a great thing and you know a lot of people think that it's that we're like a circus like we all pack up and get in our train and go on to the next one and that's just not it i mean we all crisscross the country uh going and doing our own things um that's just it's just a lot of fun yeah it seems pretty amazing is there just to wrap it up if somebody wanted to say find your uh the classes that you do or find it is there any i know you have a facebook page um is there any other uh websites or anything where people would be able to find you if they wanted to take a class or watch some of your watch well i think it would be just facebook you know i've I've had lots of kids uh connect with me on there and and want to do schools and stuff and so when i get a group of kids put together then i put on a school i haven't here in the last couple of years done one but um from time to time i do have you know even if i don't teach them i i can put them in contact with 
someone who is putting on a school, you know, in the near future. So. Great. Well, um, I, w- I want to thank you very much for your time. I I really enjoyed this. I I hope you had fun. It was I, I, it was really a lot of fun for me. So thank you. Yeah, I love talking. Love talking rodeo. So if you got any other questions, feel free to call me. So. All right. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I hope you have a happy new year. I hope you keep listening to my show. I've got a lot of great guests coming up. Uh, Paul Valentine is next week, and he's, if you haven't read his books, oh, please, read them. He's the best. Uh, go to Feral Audio and check out uh, the other shows. Thank you.
the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.